Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Thanks, Tash. It is so good to be back. I think it's three, three weeks from I've been here, so uh, it is lovely to be back with you. Missed you a lot. Thank you for your prayers. Um, they worked. Um, prayer works, so um, I really appreciate that. Um, and as I continue to pray for you, please continue to pray for me. What a great night tonight to worship God, to come together um, in our sick first night on Halloween night. That's a great night to worship God. It's a great night when all the powers of darkness are out and doing their thing and the devil is shaking his fist in fury that we can come together as the saints of God to worship and lift up the name of Jesus. And that's just what we want to do tonight. So excited about tonight, excited about being together. Great night to be baptized as well. Um, <clears throat> we're on our advanced theme, as you know, in this series. And this Sunday, we're turning to Matthew 13. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that Matthew 13 is a, a, a variety of parables. And so we're going to be spending a number of weeks in Matthew 13. Um, and basically, the, Jesus is describing the essence and nature of the kingdom, because that's what we're talking about at the moment, the kingdom of God, what this kingdom of God really is. And the context of Matthew 13 is the Sermon on the Mount has now happened in chapters 5 to 7. You turn on another chapter or two, you'll see Jesus is picking his 12 disciples. That's all in place. And now Jesus is teaching them, teaching his disciples, this new family of the kingdom, how it operates and how it establishes itself in the world. And that's why you'll read the little phrase over and over again, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. So I'm going to read a lengthy passage. If you've got a Bible, please turn to it in Matthew 13. It's not on the screen. Or if you've got a phone or tablet, look it up. I'd love you just to eyeball it as I read it. There's something about seeing and, and hearing. There's something about those two things connect. I'm going to read the first 23 verses um, of chapter 13, if you want to follow me. I'm reading it in the ESV. Um, so let's go with that. <clears throat> Verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house um, and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood in the beach. Jesus knew the power of natural amplification. He was the creator of the earth, you see, so he knew these things. I sailed the sandbars in Loch Ness for many years, as you know, and one of my experiences there was in a, an engine failure out in the middle of Loch Ness, um, and it happened to be a really calm day, which was fortunate, but I remember sitting waiting on the fitters to come in the little boat, and just hearing boats away, away in a distance, just the, the noise of them coming across the water. <clears throat> so um, Jesus knew all of this, of course, because he was the creator and the king of kings. And he said that uh, <clears throat> he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. 
They say that back in this day, a good harvest was around tenfold. That would have been a, a, a bumper harvest. But here he says that this seed, um, some uh, hundred and some sixty and some thirty. And then he goes, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's a really important little phrase. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now this little section is really important for you to grasp and I'll tell you why in a moment. <clears throat> he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. To the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in the case um, of the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, it says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And their ears can hardly and barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That's a pretty complicated bit of scripture. We're going to try and <clears throat> solve it a little in a moment. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and didn't see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then. That word hear um, in the Greek, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew is an imperative. So it's a very strong word. We interpret in our English language as listen, but it's stronger than listen. It's like listen now. You know, it's hyper listen. <laughs> you know, you don't want to miss this, he's saying. This is what he's saying here. Then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one snatches away that which has been sown in his heart, and that which is sown, that is what is sown along the path. And what was sown in rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet there's no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now the Lord always blesses the public reading of his word, so we don't make an apology of reading a lengthy portion of it. So Father, just pray that you take this word and seal it to our hearts um, this morning as we unpack it. In Jesus' name. Now, um, this is this parable is different than every other parable. This parable is the key to all parables. It's a, it, it, most of the parables you will find, or if not all of the parables, have one thing going on. They tell one thing. This parable has much going on. There's much going on in this story that we're going to try and unpack. As a matter of fact, it is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew 13. It's in Mark 4, and it's in Luke 13. Synoptic just means same. So the three same gospels, John's a standalone gospel, you know that, but three of the gospel writers wrote from a, 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 just their own personality and perspective the same things. That's why they call them synoptic gospels. But Mark records this little statement that some others don't understand. He says, 
Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So he's saying to us, there's a key. He's saying if to understand the New Testament scriptures, to understand the rest of the parables, there's a key that lies in this parable. And I remember some years ago reading that verse. I was working in the sandbars at the time, and I remember staying in that verse or in, that, in this story for weeks and weeks, just trying to figure out what the Lord was really trying to say. And so if you called it the parable of the sower, if you called it the parable of the soil, or if you called it the parable of the seed, you'd all be right. It's a story of all three of those things. And um, uh, as I said, Jesus starts his explanation with that word here. So he wants people to hear in preaching and teaching and parables, Jesus was telling earthly stories that had a very, very strong heavenly message. And they were designed to test not the intelligence um, but the spiritual responsiveness of the hearers. He wasn't trying to break into people's minds in an intellectual way. He was trying to break into people's hearts. He was trying to see the um, receptivity of people's souls. And that's why these stories are still relevant today. And so Matthew paints a very vivid scene. Little imagination is actually needed to visualize it. He shows us that Jesus' popularity is growing. The crowd is getting bigger and bigger. Other teachers might rejoice in that, but Jesus knew the motive. He knew the, the, the fickleness of the crowd. He knew that um, the failure of people generally to appreciate what the coming of Jesus really meant. He knew the plans of the scribes and Pharisees and leaders to destroy him. He knew the accusations of these so-called leaders that he had formed an allegiance with the devil himself. And of course, these things show the climate of unbelief in which Jesus was working. And that climate is still alive today, very, very much so. And um, this parable shows the reality of the world, but looks forward to the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. And so there's something very powerful about here, about this parable. He, he uses this parable of the sower as, again, I say, a parable of all other parables. And it explains that he's telling the story to make them understand that he's going to be rejected by some and accepted by others. That's the story. He's going to be rejected by some. Now, you could boil this away back down into election, which is a story and a sermon for another day, but it's very, very powerful. And so he makes this demand to hear because the crowd was more interested in his powers and in his healings and in listening to the message. So listen grabs the attention and he starts with this. He says that a sower went out to sow seed. So he's talking about the sower going out to sow. And the sower sows the word. And this is the key for understanding the whole story. All right. And then he, he fixes our attention immediately on two objects. He, he, he focuses us on the sower and his seed. Now, of course, the first being the sower is the Lord Jesus himself in this story, but it's anyone really who truly proclaims the gospel message, and it is the sower that carries the work um, uh, and how these things are going to work out and be related into people's lives. The word must be preached before anyone can follow. 
Romans 10, 14 tells us the same thing. How will they hear if people don't tell the story? How will they hear if people don't go out and proclaim the message? So the word must be preached before anyone can follow. So in a day of shorter attention spans, in a day of box sets instead of movies, in a day of TED Talks instead of deep theological study, um, uh, there is something seed sowing means preaching a message that needs to be heard. You need to know that. Seed sowing means preaching a message that needs to be heard. The sower scatters the seed. I love this. The word uh, here, scatters, means he didn't aim his seed at particular individuals. Actually, the opposite is true. He cast it before everyone. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and live. And so he spreads it indiscriminately. He, he gives it to people who have no interest. He gives it to people who are even hostile. Such is the grace of God. And to these two, to the sower and the seed, then he adds a third commodity, which of course we know as the soil. And clearly that's a person's heart, the person themselves. And thus, God's kingdom, this kingdom of God is breaking into the world in seed form, and the seed falls in the ground, but of course, it is received in different ways. And that's what we're going to look at. Jesus actually talks about four types of heart. He talks about the unresponsive heart. He talks about the impulsive heart. He talks about the preoccupied heart. And then he talks about the responsive heart, the good soil. And this is what it's like when people are confronted with the word of God. The secret is contained in the condition of the soil. The sower and the seed never change. But the condition of the soil is really, really important. And so let's look at them really quick. The pathway, and this man was sowing. It's unavoidable that some fell on the pathway where he was standing but people had walked in that. It was on plowed ground. It was hardened and, and it was too hard for anything to sink in. So it just remained on the surface. And, and if it doesn't lodge into a person's heart and germinate relatively quickly, then Satan snatches it out by force. This is what the, he's telling before there's any time to grow. And these are people who hear a sermon but pay no attention to it whatsoever. They take no interest in the preaching. It seems to them that it's just a a babble of words and names and unintelligible talk. They think more of the Game of Thrones than the King of Kings upon the throne. They have no interest at all. And they end up knowing no more than when they come in. And God writes about these people through the prophet Ezekiel in 33, 32. He says this, You are to them like a lovely song sung with a beautiful voice and played well in an instrument, for they hear your words but refuse to practice them. Such is the power of, of, of Satan as he snatches away the seed. And there are thousands of people in this state. This should break our hearts. There are thousands of people in this state. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to take away the good seed that is sown on the surface of their heart. And week after week, they live without any fear of God, without any knowledge of the grace of God, feeling nothing, caring nothing, taking no more interest than if Christ never died on the cross at all. And in this state, they often live. And in this state, they die and are lost in hell forever. That's... That's the scary thing about the gospel. The second soil was the rocky soil, and um, the interpretation now is like a, 
a rock that has a thinly coated layer of soil, just a little thin coat over the rock. And it was that part of ground where the earth was shallow. And while it was near to the warm surface, which induced rapid growth, it also led to a shortening of the young plant's life. And in this case, the withering is due to the very cause that led to its rapid growth, the shallowness of the soil, which didn't, didn't allow the, 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 the seed to develop any roots at all. And these hearers of the people who receive it with joy, unfortunately, they are like the plants themselves have no depth of earth, they have no roots in themselves, and they fail to consider that true discipleship actually means self-surrender, means self-denial, means sacrifice, means service, and it even means suffering. They fail to recognize that. They ignored the fact that the cross actually leads home. And uh, I, 30 years ago, I was a lorry driver at the time, and I was delivering into a factory. Um, we were drawing stuff from England and delivering into some of the factories in Portadown. And there was a, a factory that I ended up being in a couple of times a week. And uh, in, in my journeys in there, I led a guy to Jesus. His name was Tony. And uh, Tony was doing really well. He had a small family. His wife wasn't very well, a bit of sickness. And Tony was doing great. And for months, Tony and I would talk about Jesus every day. We would go in. Then a bit of pressure hit his family and his marriage started to get in trouble. One of his kids got sick. And I was in the factory one day and I was heading up to get the docket signed. And I said, Tony, how's things going? He says, Philip, give it all up. And I said, what? I actually was, I didn't know what he was actually meaning. And I I said, what do you mean? What, What have you given up? He says, faith. I've just given up my faith in Jesus. Don't don't believe it anymore. He said, just think it's all a myth. And I was absolutely devastated. I remember that, um, I remember actually not even knowing what to say to him at the time. And this is the problem when opposition comes to them, that when it's on rocky soil, you see, there's no root, there's no depth on it. Uh, uh, This is what induces them to give up what they so enthusiastically embraced because the pressures didn't allow them to stand. These are the people on whom preaching produces temporary impressions, but no deep, lasting, or abiding effect. They take pleasure in hearing sermons in which the truth is faithfully set forth. They can speak with apparent joy, but there's no stability in their faith, and there's no real work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and there are many people like this in our land today. They are not careless, and unattentive hearers. They feel a pleasure um, to the preaching to which they will listen, and therefore they flatter themselves sometimes that maybe, just maybe, God is at work in their hearts. But I believe in this story they are deceived, and there is no real work of conversion in them. That's daunting stuff, this parable. Daunting stuff. Then we've got the thorny soil, and any gardener will tell you that nothing grows faster than that which isn't wanted. Um, uh, and uh, um, each patch of ground has only enough room to grow a bit of healthy amount of soil or plant life. And it's not surprising that the faster growing weeds were soon choking the life out of the seed. And these verses describe people whose hearts resemble soil infested with roots and runners of thorns and hearts filled with worry and daily concerns and taken up with dreams of riches and desires for other things and such hearts thwart 
any influence for the good that might otherwise result in the preaching of the gospel. This is really important. They're preoccupied. They have no room for calm and earnest meditation on the word or the message of the Lord. They are people who listen to the preaching of the gospel and to a certain amount, they, they obey it. They, their understanding agrees with it. Their judgment approves of it. Their conscience is affected by it. Their acknowledgement is as, is, is as right, but there they stop short. Something appears to chain them up fast and they never get beyond a certain point in their religion. They just never seem to get past that point. And the great secret that stopped the growth is the world. This is as plain as day in the story. It's just the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches and pleasures. It's the world. And the world, and with everything apparently that is promising and favorable spiritually, they stand still. They never come up to the full standard of New Testament Christianity. They bring no fruit to perfection. They, of all cases, I think they're the saddest. They go so far and yet no further, and to accept so much and yet not give Christ your whole heart. This indeed is sad. And without a change of heart, they will never enter the kingdom of God. That's what he says in the story. Um, Christ will have all of our hearts. And if you think you're in this category, then you need to remember the words of James when he says, don't you know, friends, that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Type one and type two soil, I get. I understand. It's pretty clear cut. Type three makes me nervous. Type three puts me on edge. I was an edge in my study this week uh, several times as I thought about my own heart and the condition of the soil of my heart because here's the thing, the curse of the world choked spiritual development. The curse of the world choked spiritual development. And this is where we warm a church seat like a passenger in a train. Never get involved. And here's a little thing I picked up in the Luke rendering of it. I'd never noticed this before. And um, Matthew doesn't say this and Mark doesn't say this. But here's what Luke says. Luke says, as they go on their way, they're choked by cares, riches, and pleasures. As they go on their way. So, so it's, I, I take it from that little phrase that it's obvious by this statement that they never allowed it to arrest them. They never allowed it to stop them up short. And go, oh, I actually need to think about this. I need to consider this in the destiny of my life. I need to consider this when I'm planning my future. I need to consider this now as something in my whole life structure. And, um, and, and, and people like this, they, just, they, they, they never allow that to, 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 to call them up. And then he talks about the good soil. Whew, glad to get to this. Because um, it's the only one that we can talk about with confidence. It's the only one that we can talk about with confidence. The seed sprouted and continually yielded fruit and provided an abundant harvest. These people are the people who the message of the kingdom falls into good, fertile, receptive ground. They hear because they want to hear. It arrests them. They welcome the message and instead of keeping it in the surface, they allow it to go down deep into their hearts so that the precaution 
or, or any, any stuff that comes their way can't knock them off the perch, as it were. They welcome it exclusively so that other concerns don't stifle it. They reflect on what they're here and their faith in the message. They, 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 they reach a measure of true understanding. The understanding that results from this kind of welcome goes beyond the intellect. It goes beyond just the, the mind, you see. This, goes, this touches the conduct. This touches the heart. This touches the commitment. This touches the devotion of the person. This changes a person's life. That's what true repentance is. Repentance isn't turning over a new life. Repentance is going a different way. Turning your back on something and going a different way. And this is the true thing. And here's what these people do. They, they put the message into practice. In them, the fruits of truth will be evident. Sin will be truly hated. And Christ will be truly loved. Holiness will begin to show itself in their lives. And something beautiful will begin to be plainly visible. Because it's by their fruits you shall know them. And you'll begin to see things prosper in their lives. And here's the truth about it. The true work of the Holy Spirit cannot and will not be hidden. I love this. This is beautiful. And so here's the whole conclusion. What's the lesson of the parable? Well, the lesson of the parable is that the seriousness of the question, how the world is received, how the word is received, comes from the fact that it is the word of the kingdom of God that has come near to uh, to these people by Jesus, and that people's final destiny depends on how they respond to it. That's what the whole parable is about. Jesus has given the answer in his own interpretation. He says the seed is the word of God and the soil is the human heart. And when the seed of God's Holy Spirit comes and falls into good soil, something goes deep down. The teaching of the parable is that the result of hearing the gospel always and everywhere depends on the condition of the heart to whom um, it is addressed. I'm going to go a step further in this. And I'm going to tell you this, that I think the work of regeneration is the absolute sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. The absolute sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. When we put ourselves into the place and the work of the Holy Spirit comes and he causes a regeneration in a person's heart, I think actually before they can actually even allow this seed to go deep down into their hearts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Ty said it well. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to pray like we never prayed before. That's why we need to fall to our knees. You know the way we say sometimes, well, not much you can do, but I can pray. I see Sylvia here this morning, and like we've prayed, what an what a incredible thing that she done, and it's just beautiful to see you out. But we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and I'm actually shocked to see you out, but it's amazing. And I see... Paul at the back, and I think we prayed and prayed and prayed, and sometimes we say, well, all we can do is pray. No, it's the greatest thing you can do. It's the greatest thing you can do to fall to your knees, and that's why I love lists, and I love people's names on paper, and I love to run my finger over people's names and sheets and say, God, as I touch them physically, will you touch them by your Holy Spirit? It's the most incredible thing to do, and I'm telling you now, If we're going to see a thousand souls saved and a thousand lives changed, it's only going to come through acts of mad, irreverent 
prayer where we get on our knees, we begin to cry out to God. When I say irreverent, I mean in a physical way where we begin to cry and bawl and weep before the presence of God at our family and the state of our country and the state of our land. And we begin to lay hold and lay siege of our families and friends and our lost neighbors and say, God, will you save them? That's the only way. It's the only way. And then when we do that and we mix it with the preaching of the word, something happens of power. And here's, 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 here's the thing about it. Just if, for those of us who have been saved a long time, I've been saved a lifetime, saved most of my life. Um, but the, the whole of the Christian life is one continual and progressive response to a fresh spiritual revelation. It's as easy for your heart to get hard as it is for the unbeliever's heart to get hard. And that's why Jeremiah 4 and Hosea 10 both say the exact same thing, to break up the fallow ground. Break up the fallow ground. What's fallow ground? It's ground that once was plowed, but now is left untended and has got hard again. And it's as easy for me, I tell you, during second lockdown, this old heart got hard. And I had to get before God and weep myself into a place before God because my heart, I, I didn't like what was going on in my heart. It's as easy for my heart to get hard, for your heart to get hard. And so my challenge to you as we bring this to a conclusion today is, what is the condition of your heart? Yeah, yeah, maybe you're saved a long time, but what is your condition of your heart right now? What happens when we talk about people who are lost does it affect your heart or does it think, well, that's Dixie's job. He's in the streets. He's the evangelist. It's not my job. Folks, we need to examine our hearts. And I believe we're living in a day as a church that we need to examine our hearts like never before because your heart can get like the pathway. Even as a believer where we get to a place where we just think, well, busy stuff's going on, family life and married and I've got kids and business, start a new business and on and on we go and we could have a million reasons why we can't or our heart could be like by, like rocky ground sounds good in here but by mid-afternoon it's gone or, or like the thorny soil that you just go in your way you never allow it to arrest you just oh, so much to do so much to tend for and I haven't time for that doesn't affect the big decisions in your life you see um, my prayer this morning is that the work of regeneration will take place in your heart because here's what the Bible says. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. The work of regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And here's the thing, here's the thing. God has given you enough grace. He's given enough grace to get saved. He's given us enough grace to live this Christian life well. So my prayer for you this morning is that you allow the Holy Spirit to tend the soil of your heart. This is the parable of all parables. If you don't understand this one, you miss them all. You miss them all. Well, here's the thing. The seed of God goes out indiscriminately to everyone. But the condition of the human heart is what makes it receptive and what makes it go down deep. So I'd love us to pray. Let's just still our hearts. As we conclude today, these are solemn, solemn words. Um, I'd love you just in a moment, you know, maybe, maybe you're in the room or you're listening online 
and maybe you like the pathway of no interest and if that's the case then you'll just go on your way or maybe you're like the rocky soil and you're enthusiastic about it but there's not much room for any roots there's too much stuff going on in your life or maybe just the thorns maybe some of us even that have given our lives to Jesus have just got caught up in a, a thorny life cares of this world, so much stuff. And we do live, Western civilization does throw a lot of stuff our way, a lot of stuff to plow through as a parent, as a hold down a job, and some of your jobs are high pressure and all of that. I understand all of that. But will you give them room? Will you give them room? Even amidst the busyness of your heart, if you could just plan out 30 minutes, get up 30 minutes earlier if you need be. But those of you who follow Julie on Facebook will, um, like me, enjoy her ramblings at the, at the waterside in the, each morning. But it's changing her life. She'll tell you that. I don't need to tell you that. She'll tell you that. Changing her life because she's carved out a space for her. And in that space is dedicated as a place where you go to meet with God. Will it always be exciting and exhilarating? No, probably won't. Be an odd morning that you'll read and wonder what you were doing there. But as I often say, I don't remember what I ate for tea last Wednesday, but I did eat tea. And it did supply need into my body. So don't think because you read it and don't really get it that morning. Just make it a habit. I used to say to my mom, mom, sometimes it feels like a habit. And she said, well, you've got worse ones, son. Hmm, you've got worse ones. So just dedicate out the time. So God, I pray right now that if there's someone in the room that has never allowed this seed to germinate into their heart, that right now this would be a moment. Right now in the silence of where it's just God and you. Could you open your heart and say, I'm not going to reject this anymore. I'm not going to resist this anymore. I'm going to open my heart to the seed of the Holy Spirit and allow it to germinate deep into the soil of my heart. And God, I, I'm looking forward to that 30, 60, and maybe even 100 fold. Anybody in the room like that this morning, give me a wee wave, would you? I won't, uh, I won't embarrass anybody, but bless you. God, would you, for those of us who are older maybe and just allowed a little bit of hardness, even maybe some, sometimes in ministry, I've, I, I talk to so many ministers like this, so many leaders who are just, um, they've got compassion fatigue. They're just, they're burned out with it. Oh, Phil, I've heard so many stories. I've just got hardened to them now. They just sort of, all oh, right, okay, I'll pray for you. And then he says, uh, they go away and say, I think two or three days later, wow, I never even prayed for them. And I've been there, but it's the greatest thing you can do, to fold your knees. So God, I just pray right now for the condition of all of our hearts, that you would challenge us to this message. These are strong words, and they're strong words that come from you. We haven't manipulated them we haven't added to them we haven't taken away from them we've preached them as they are 
And so, God, we know that we can't even create an anxious thought. The work of regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask you right now, even via media, that you would go into people's homes, touch people's hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. Um, I hope you're challenged as much as I was by the message. But um, we are living in precarious days. We're living in end days. There's no doubt end of the end times. And um, the condition of the church is much, much to be um, reviewed, I think. The condition of the hearts of God's people as we come before God. And there's nothing that will soften your heart like spending time in his presence. So carve it out, will you? Make it happen wherever it works in your day. The Lord bless you, teas and coffees. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.